Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget with Kevin. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, what's up? Chilling. <clears throat> yeah, man. Yeah. So, hey, uh, we got a special guest on today. Um, kind of like we uh, uh, talked about in our last attempt at this. Uh, same thing, different thing, right? Same show, different show. Yeah. Um, so this guy was with us um, way back in the day. And then he continued on with his career and did some other cool things. And we are going to hear all about it. His name is Spencer Robbins. Go ahead, say, say hi, sir. Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey. How's it going? Happy to be so, here. I'm glad yeah, you're here too, man. This whole day and week has been crazy. I know we've been trying to set up this appointment for, so we can talk. Like it's an appointment. That's funny. <laughs> it's kind of like an appointment. I know, right? Like the 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 more we do this shit, the more it seems like it's uh a business of some sort. Yeah. Something uh, like that. Yeah. You would never so tell from the way lit we're, we're doing shit. It's like a, a duck on top of water, just fucking paddling along. <laughs> well, yeah, like her feet are going ape shit. Yeah. It's like what you said, Tyree though. I mean, if this shit takes off, man, you can, you know, you got your whole new career in front of you. So man, it's all good. I'm saying, you're right. You're trying to roll away. The, the Joe Rogan, of veteran podcasts. Oh Jesus. A hundred million dollars. Spotify. Yeah. Sign me up. Man, I would not say no. <laughs> hey, just know, as long man. as you can deal with cancel culture, you'll be all right, man. Oh shit, yeah, right. I would not say yeah. anything wrong, folks who would pay people. Listen to me. Hey, <laughs> this is Tyree here. I'll sell your shit. Don't worry about it. I won't do anything dumb. I won't sell say up. nothing dumb on the internet. Whatever, man. Money, money. Okay. Yes, that's the same. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Twenty right. twenty. Let's get this. <laughs> all right. Let's yeah. get this shit going, man. Sorry. Yeah, man. So. Uh, uh, we we typically have um, a set of uh, questions that we kind of use, um, you know, just to kind of get the conversation rolling and all that stuff. But uh, and then from there, you know, questions kind of just happen, right? So conversation just kind of flows. But um, generally, what what we usually start with, especially with folks that kind of came in around the time that we we did, um, is where were you on nine eleven? I was a uh, second classman or junior at the Virginia Military Institute. I was actually sitting um, at a conference table in my history of the New South class when um, uh, another cadet came into the room right when we were about to start class. And he was just like, hey, um, can we cut loose? Um, someone, someone just hit the fucking, uh, you know, the towers in, in New York City. And he was from New York City. He's like, I got to go fucking check on my family. And hey. um and I was just like, okay, I had no idea what in the hell was going on. Uh, you know, I was on a, you know, at a military college, we didn't have TVs and everything else like that. So it was like only a couple televisions and all the post one, the, the PX where like cadets could go and buy food as upperclassmen or the cardio room in the gym. And that was it. Like, hmm. that's all the only places that, you know, cadets had access to a television. So I, I like, you know, made my way over to the, to the PX and there was just, you know, a ton of cadets. And then we, we just, we saw, we saw it unfold live on, on CNN pretty much like everybody else did. So that's, um, that's, so you, I mean, you're already at this point kind of committed to being in the military, but you still got some time before you even get through you know, college and, and yeah. then your officer training and all that stuff through the army. Correct. Yeah, so that's got to be. Uh, I mean, just sitting there, like, fuck, man, like, let's just let's just get this ball rolling, so I can, you know, get in there and do my job. Or was it more of like a, oh shit, what have I got myself into? It was more the it was the former. It was yeah. uh, 
it was like, like shit, if there's something going on, like, fuck man, I want to be a part of it. Not because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I was, you know, I'm taller than Sylvester Stallone, but I'm not, you know, cause I'm five, eight and he's like five, six, but uh, I'm not, I'm not John Rambo. Right. But right. Um, at the same time, I come, I was fourth generation military officer, great grandfather, grandfather, father, uncles. Um, my grandfather did, uh, he was in world war two, first graduating war class in the Naval Academy. So he did it in three years. Okay. Uh, he, he graduated Naval Academy in the summer of 42 and was in, um, North Africa fighting the Nazis in hand to hand combat by November of 42 at the rate of safety Harbor, right. Damn. In French Morocco. First thing smoking, uh, heading on over. Right. And then uh, my father was a famous class of 68 of the Naval Academy with um, like Jim Webb and Oliver North. Mm-hmm. And so he graduated in 68 and he was in Vietnam by 69. Um, and I graduated VMI in 2003 and was Iraq by 04. You know? <laughs> uh, definitely so it's seen just, a pattern there. Yeah, you get the right? tradition going. Uh, you yeah, don't have any so boys, do you? I do. Okay. Uh, he's two and a half. Um, I got a daughter that's seven. Um, but... It's kind of it's interesting you say that because um, in years since I've gone to a handful of either elementary or middle schools um, on like Veterans Day, and this is how much our country has matured. Um, like you know, a lot of public schools and private schools have really big Veterans Day um, ceremonies. Like you know, any any students whose fathers or or mothers are veterans, they you know they ask them to come in. Um, especially those who are still active duty in uniform and they have, you know, um, it, uh, one, like my best friend, his kids went to this, um, you know, really nice uh, private school that was elementary and middle school. And uh, I mean, they would have us, you know, in the assembly hall and they do performances, very patriotic. And then we'd go visit classrooms and talk to kids. Um, you know, I've also sat on like veterans panels at schools and kids just ask you all, you know, a whole bunch of questions. You tell some stories. Um, but I always tell that, like, hey, you know, this is my family lineage. And my family's nothing special, right? I mean, there's a, a litany of families that have people who have served in multiple generations. And But it's, it's funny that when I, you know, tell them about my grandfather, father, and myself, specific to combat, not necessarily just serving in the military, you know, I, I stop and ask, I'm like, are you, do you guys see a pattern? And to see the kids faces, like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, yeah, like whether you like it or not, and whether you believe in the politics or whatever, like our, our country's always in some shit every, yeah. every, every 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And that it's not, it, it's, it's just historical patterns. Yeah. Um, so with that, I was never asking for it. Um, uh, I went to a military college because, um, I know I needed that structure and discipline to graduate. Um, I liked girls and alcohol too much in high school. Um, and I mean, it was just one of those things where I, I was like, Hey, I'm, if I went to a regular university or state school, I would be 40 pounds overweight and flunked out after my freshman year. I just knew that. So, yeah, right. No, I understand um, that. Yeah. I got so, a question. I mean, I, Let me ask you yo. a question. All right. So it's more of a foregoing conclusion that you're going to join the military. What do you think you would have did or done if you hadn't joined? Um, that's a really good question because it was not a foregone conclusion. I was going to join the military. I actually um, did not sign my army contract until the week of the invasion 
in March of 2003, right before two months mm-hmm. before I graduated college at a military school. Um, I had childhood cancer as a teenager twice. And so I couldn't get a fucking waiver for any branch of the service. That's why I, I didn't even attempt to get into the Naval Academy or West Point because um, I didn't meet any federal standards to get commissioned. Um, I got medically rejected to VMI and the Citadel, the only two colleges I applied to. Um, and then the superintendent at VMI actually overturned my medical um, deferment. I ended up getting going to VMI on full scholarship. Thank goodness. Um, so my whole cadetship at VMI, I was trying like hell, um, to get a medical waiver, um, to actually just get into the service. Um, but I, um, I, the, uh, the, the, the army colonel that was head of the, uh, army department at the Virginia military, the Virginia military, military Institute, his name is uh, Colonel Fassenhammer, a special forces, uh, colonel, um, who actually is uh, now deceased. Um, but, you know, Scary guy, you know, um, but at the same time, he knew the Army head doc, a guy named uh, Colonel Dunn at the time. And so the commandant of uh, VMI at the time, he was uh, he was former Ranger Battalion uh, colonel. And he was just like, hey, Robbins, go down to Kilbourne Hall, see Colonel Fastenhammer. He might be able to hook you up. So I went down and um, talked to Colonel Fastenhammer. And he was just like, hey, you sign on the dotted line. And you switch your Marine Corps affiliation to Army. He was just like, I can't promise you anything, but I will guarantee you that Dr. Dunn himself will review your case. Two months later, I had my medical medical waiver, and then I was cutting weight. I was a college boxer. So that whole week of the invasion, I was in the cardio room with, like, two sweatpants and sweatshirts on trying to cut weight. And... um they're like, yeah, come sign up. So I, I did my uh, my affiliation and my uh, my commission and status during uh, during shock and off March of two thousand three. So uh, to answer your question, like I, that's all I ever wanted to do was go into the military. I knew I wouldn't make it a career, um, so I, I never really got that far of what I would do. Uh, I would either be I, I thought heavily about law enforcement. A lot of people are like, well, hey, law enforcement's a lot like the military. Um, so I was actually interviewing um, at the um, one of the counties uh, for, um, you know, after the if they were to take me, I'd, I'd be able to intern there after the academy mm-hmm. and then um, start there. So I was heavily thinking about um, police force. And um, outside of that, I was just like, you know, if anything else, I was a history major in college. So there could always be a high school history teacher out there, you know, you had. So what do you uh, uh, so what are you doing now? I, um, <laughs> I am an IT, uh, software salesman. I, um, okay. I do, I do federal IT sales. So, um, for a cybersecurity company. Wow. That's a little bit different than military law enforcement and history teacher, but <laughs> it is. Yeah. I just, and, um, I, you know, a lot of people find my history stories really, really fucking boring. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I think there's a lot of people, man. A lot of people tend to find history really boring, and I don't, I don't understand it, man. And history is fucking rad. I, love I think so. It's opinion. fucking great. But you want to know what? I've had plenty of wonderful history teachers in school and then professors in college, but I've also had the exact same amount of boring ones. Yeah. So it's one of those things where if well, we all had those, um, I hope people had educators in school at some point in their life that got them 
really fired up or passionate about a subject, whatever that subject is. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I grew up, you know, in a military family, moved around a lot. But right when I was like in fourth and fifth grade, we lived in Pensacola, Florida, and they did archaeological digs around our house. I lived uh, four houses down from Fort Barrancas, where Geronimo was held at one point. Um, so, I mean, I just caught that. I caught that fever. Of, there was so much history in that area. Um, and I just had a lot of access to it and I, I could never get rid of that bug as a kid. And I, I was very fortunate. I had educators all throughout my, my childhood and also my college years that just really kept it interesting for me. And, um, that was the only way I was going to graduate college on time as well. So, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta pick and choose what you're good at. So. Right on. So let's, uh, let's take it back a little bit. So you, you're at VMI and, um, while you're there, you become friends with or acquaintances with or or whatever y'all were, um, with somebody we've already had on the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, Wesley, Warren Wesley. Yep. Yeah. Warren, um, he was a year ahead of me. So, uh, and also in a different company, he was in golf company. I was an echo company and they do, uh, they do it by height, um, for parades. So, uh, you know, the first one out the, out the arch out of Jackson Arch was Alpha Company. Um, and the first battalion, it was uh, A through D, Alpha through Delta. And then second battalion was Echo uh, through Hotel. And then you had Band Company. So Alpha was always the tallest and Hotel was always the tallest because the first company and the last company were pretty much the same height. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at it from a spectator's view of the parade deck, you know, you had your two tallest at the ends and then the two shortest in the middle and the two shortest companies were Delta and Echo and I was an Echo company. Um, so Warren, a little bit taller than me. Uh, he was in golf, but he's also an upperclassman. So, um, you know, he and I, he and I didn't get to know each other until like summer school one year. Cause we're neither one of us, the smartest fucking cats around. Um, and he just, you know, summer school to graduate on time. Um, but I had a lot of really good friends in golf company. So we just, you know, um, knew each other by name, you know, until upperclassmen, then, you know, actually got to know each other a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, seeing him passing, obviously, in Iraq, and then also um, back when we were uh, in Germany. So, yeah, good guy. Yeah, it's a pretty small army, man. That actually happened to me with a, a guy I went to high school with. He was a great below me. And then <clears throat> I'm in Germany for about a year at this point, I guess. And coming up the stairs, I hear somebody say, uh, downtown Schweinfurt. Um, Somebody comes up, you know, behind me and says, Kevin. I was like, nobody here knows me by that name. Who, who is this? I'm turning around and says, dude. And then, you know, we chatted for a little bit, ran into each other again in uh, Kuwait and then randomly in Iraq and then randomly again back in Germany. And then randomly again, when we were both out of the army, um, both out That's of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I ran it. Yeah, I've run into VMI guys actually in on mission, like in like, on MSR Tampa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was at uh, my second tour. I was on uh, Fob Liberty and picking up laundry. And I just heard a voice and I stopped in my tracks. I turned around and I remember the guy's name. He and I went to VMI. I was like, that's Keith fucking Heindel. And he turned around. He's like, that's Spence fucking Robbins. And we hadn't <laughs> seen each other in like five years. I was like, Dude, we're both in a fucking laundry bin in you know Baghdad, Iraq. How crazy is that? Um, yeah. Rent. I got in. I was actually on R and R my second deployment, and I got an email on my AKO account from my best friend since I was thirteen, 
He's like, yeah, I just walked by your fucked up Italian. (laughs) I was just like, I was just like, hey, dude, what's going on? He's just like, yeah, you know, um, come and get me, like, come and find me when you're back from R&R. And I actually saw his parents like a couple of days later at my R&R party, you know, back home. And then, um, so I, when I got back to, uh, back to Baghdad, my second tour, he and I, um, again, best friends since we were 13. Um, there we are having, we'd meet up for chow every Sunday. Um, you know, he, he and I were both captains by that time and he was at, like an HHC command and it was kind of crazy because, um, uh, one Sunday afternoon, I got an email from him saying, Hey man, I'm not going to make dinner tonight. I got fucking blown up. And he's just like, if you can, please try and see me. So I went by his headquarters and there was all laid up and he, uh, he was out on mission. He, you know, as an HAC commander, he just hopped in a vehicle, wanted to be out with his troops. And, um, he actually called the IED right before it went off and, uh, bent a rifle over his leg. Fucked him up pretty good. And, um, you know, he was, he was married, uh, newly married, you know, not, not too long. And, uh, kind of, I mean, he, he's all right now. Um, he's, he's fine, but it was just interesting. Um, you know, you know, sitting there with him all laid up and I was just like, fuck man, my best friend, you know, we're here in Iraq or, you know, both, it was both of our second tours and, uh, and I'm just sitting there and he's, you know, laid up and, you know, fucked up and, um, called his parents. His parents only knew from his wife because, you know, his wife was notified that he got wounded and shit like that. But uh, I remember still vividly that night, you know, I made my way to the pay phones to, he asked me to call his parents, you know, and just tell yeah. them that he was, you know, that, you know, he was, he was okay. Um, and they just needed to hear it from someone who'd seen him, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, probably somebody who knew him, you know? And the, the, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so much better. It was, again, it was, uh, it was a hard phone call to make, but at the same time, um, when we were about to like wrap up, like his parents were joking and laughing, you know? So it was, it was just like, it made it that much better when, you know, having, you know, the the mother, your best friend, who's, you know, she hasn't seen yet, hasn't talked to yet. And, you know, clearly seriously wounded. You're just like, you know, if she's laughing at the end of the call, you're just like, okay, you know, yeah. all, all is right in the world. So, right. Uh, so yeah, yeah I mean, imagine, small, you know, small fucking world, you know? Yeah. And no, I imagine getting that call from, you know, some official in the army and it's just very cold and direct and, you know, and it's not, it's not, you know, to discredit what they do. Cause I'm sure that's a shitty ass job, but you know, uh, to, to hear from somebody who is known to the family, a family friend, you know, childhood friend, whatever. I mean, I'm sure that makes it so much better. I wish it could <laughs> always go like that. As LAPD, right? no, yeah, as, as LAPD yeah, I had to do that several times. Death, death notifications, fuck that. Like uh, some shit happens, some really horrific fucking accident, or you know, somebody commits suicide, and I have to go and call these people, and like I have to try to find a way yeah. to like feel, yeah, push out a feeling. Like the first time I I was like crying on the phone. I was all fucked up. <laughs> but like after 20 or 30 of them, you got to got to try to got to get numb to it. Eh? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's to the point that it's like, "Hey, um this is Officer Brown. I'm sorry to inform you that XYZ has uh, been found deceased or is passed away." Uh, yeah, and then well, I mean, there, there's a difference crying. between like being yeah, yeah. It's like being desensitized versus unprofessional, or mm-hmm. like right, you can yeah. be you can be incredibly professional, 
and, and and keep it calm, but you can still, you know, the whole bedside manner. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just say that to say, like, uh, it would have been great if I can have, like, one of their friends give that message to oh, yeah. their parents. Because, yeah. fuck, that first time yeah. was a doozy. I don't but, think anyone signs up for that fucking job. But. Yeah, for sure. Well, you so, um, <laughs> so you you said uh, I mean, pretty much right after you graduated, you were you know you completed all your training, um, you, you know the eyeball uh, or infantry basic officer course, and then off to Germany, right? So what I did, um, so you're you're talking to a 13 alpha, so I was artillery. Mm, so um, yeah, I know it's just <laughs> you know. The king of battle. We yeah. we we put the we put the balls where the queen wants them. Right. That's you're right. You're right. You're right. That, that's that's the saying. God, that um, is so twisted. I know. Right. <laughs> I haven't it's, heard, it's I haven't it's heard so that one. True. I haven't heard that one. That's funny. No, so, all these years hey, I've never heard that hey, one. Yeah. Oddly enough, you want to know the guy who told me that? The mm. father of my best friend who got wounded um, because he was an artillery officer. Um, who was, who was branch detailed, right? He went, um, cause he was actually a, an army lawyer, uh, my, my best friend's dad. And so, um, when I, when I finally got my, uh, my branch, um, I found out I was artillery. I put infantry first armor and artillery in my top three. Like, I was just like, dude, just put me in combat arms. I didn't give a fuck. Yeah. And, uh, what I didn't know at the time is you put artillery anywhere near your top 10, you're going to fucking get artillery. Dang. So yeah. no one, no one told me that, which was fine. Like, I was just like, dude, i it turned out that I had the best job in the army. My, my first tour as being a fire support officer, because all you do is go out on mission every day and you're the, you know, you're the SME for call for fire. Outside of that, you're carrying a rifle, you know, kicking indoors and having a good no, time. If you choose to. That right? would be yeah, no, exactly. that's such a fucking great job. Like, it really is, man. You're out there kicking it, I mean, in, exactly doing like kicking was, indoor shit, the, and then you know was, you can make the, the whole mountainside explode if you wanted to. It was the <laughs> funnest job in combat solely for that because um, once I gained the trust from my CO and OIF two Captain Marshambo from uh, Charlie One Two Six, and that was kind of part of it. Um, I replaced the guy who got fired because he dropped rounds on troops. And so yeah. um, when I when I got there halfway through the deployment, there's a lot of trust issues. Yeah. Um, but Captain Marshambo, um, very similar to uh, Captain Rockefeller and Captain Marlin and, and Bravo and Alpha Company, smart as fuck. Right. Just really, really smart guy. Um, but around soldiers, he talked like a knuckle dragger, kept everyone interested. Right. Um, mm. But you walked into the company talk or his chew. Um, nothing. All he did was play chess all day. Always had a book of Nietzsche in his fucking cargo pocket, and nice. uh, just uh, uh, an highly intelligent individual. And he did his captain's career course not at Benning, but at fucking Fort Sill. He went to artillery school for the captain's career course, so he knew artillery just as well as I did, right? And so, but being able to go out on mission, um, you know, Archambault went out every day. He wanted to be in the action. He went out just uh, – that was back in when you had at least – I think the bro standard was at least three vehicles, if not four vehicles at all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, going outside the wire, he would go out with just his Bradley and someone else's Bradley. So, I mean, I got to TC Bradley's and um, just, you know, fuck around, go on canal roads and everything else like that. And when we were in Asaki, it was our uh, was our sector where it fought Palo Alto. 
um, you know, in 2004 and 2005. But it was interesting. Like, yeah, uh, once I gained his trust, when we do company size raids, I mean, he'd let me um, go ahead and do pre-planned targets um, and then let me actually brief, you know, brief all, you know, uh, company leaders, you know, all PLs, all platoon sergeants and, you know, fire team leaders and everything. And it was, it was, it was really cool. Um, so yeah, but I mean, you're the, you're the call for fire expert. Um, and you hope you never really need it because when you're calling for fire, it means you're in a lot of fucking trouble. Um, so, so yeah, I was like, Hey, outside of that, I was just an extra rifleman and to be an extra rifleman with not as much responsibility as a company commander because you're a company asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not running a platoon, right? You had your platoon leaders. Yeah. So it was just like, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm an extra LT on ground. And all I was doing was helping pull security, um, kicking in doors. I mean, one one mission, they let me go with the fucking snipers to climb the water tower. Um, I mean, again, it was the best experience a second lieutenant, in my opinion, could have had. Oh, that's cool. So what um, about, uh, what was it like when you actually got your, your first, uh, first group of guys that you're in charge of, you know, like, I know it's probably going to have to take it back a little bit or is that a little bit forward? No, it's a little bit forward actually. Oh, so okay. artillery does it a little bit different. All right. And how does that go? Um, so with artillery, you have, you have two different sets. You have the fire support side, which is the, the Marines call it forward observer, right? So you're the one who's the maneuver. So you're the one who's calling for fire. You're out with the maneuver units, whether it's cavalry, uh, armor, infantry. And again, you're the company level asset. You're a task force asset. You have a captain who's gone to the career course, right? And he's tied to the, um, you know, task force commander. Uh, Same thing with the brigade. Um, So you have that. But on the other side, you have the gunnery side, right? The actual firing of the guns, the paladins. Because uh, we were heavy, right? We were mechanized units, so it was one five five millimeter, right? So it was the um, the Paladins. So with that, you do the AFA tads, like the the, F, the fire direction center. So you have a lieutenant that's in charge of the fire direction center, with everyone on the computers and the manual gunnery that's getting all the information to the guns. So you've got that. So typically, your first job in artillery is either a second lieutenant fire support officer or a second lieutenant fire direction officer working, uh, working in the, uh, with the FDC. And then typically you are a senior second lieutenant, which sounds really f- like an oxymoron, um, or a first, first lieutenant when you get your platoon. And that's when you are a platoon leader of all the gun bunnies is what they call them. The guys who actually work on the paladins, drive the paladins, load, pa- you know, load the rounds, and, you know, and execute the fire missions. So, and then from there you become, you know, in a, a battery or company level XO. And then, uh, then you go to become a captain where you go to, uh, in most cases you, you go to the battalion level and then you, you know, go to the S3 shop where you get lost for a year or two. And then if you don't fuck up and you do well, you can get a command down the line as a captain, right? Um, just like you would, uh, you know, in the infantry when you get a, a company command. So, um, so for me, uh, I, you know, I became a platoon leader um, pretty deep into my, um, I was already a first lieutenant and we were, you know, about to go for OIF 06. And um, we were motorized infantry platoon, our second tour. So it was kind of, 
kind of the same thing of what I did the first time around, except I had a platoon instead of um, kind of being an extra rifleman. And so that was having 25 guys under you mm-hmm. and certainly in a combat situation. Uh, we spent a lot, we spent like 45 days in Kuwait uh, training. What was it like uh, when you um, actually crossed over the border? What was the feeling? It, we were on a commercial flight. <laughs> it was different. Then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the commercial flight was Kuwait. And then we took a, we took a big uh, C-130, C-130 or C-5 into, into Iraq. And you know, you guys remember those flights. You, mm-hmm. you sleep and all of a sudden you do that fucking dive at the end. Yeah. Wake you up. <laughs> the combat uh, landing. Yeah. Which was always funny because I always, I'm again, I'm like five, eight and a half. I'm, I'm fucking small, but I always, always wanted to get on last because the loaders, the air force guys, they would always sleep in the windows and shit like that. You know, so you're on an air force aircraft. And so I would, I would watch them during the flight because sometimes you'd get, you know, they'd do some dives early. And so I'm just like, all right, if these guys wake up or if they start, you know, looking nervous, then I know I need to be nervous. Right. So I would just get in the, I just get in the back and just, you know, plop down and I just watched the air force guys. And if they slept the whole time, then I felt completely at ease. Uh, so yeah, I know we, uh, we flew in. Um, so it wasn't like, Oh, I have two when you guys first went crossing over with, uh, you know, barely even doors on Humvees and shit like that. <laughs> so, cause it's funny. I left Iraq, uh, from Paul, Bob Palawata to get to Anaconda when we were all leaving. Um, yeah, they all threw us in the back of a five ton that wasn't covered. And we just lied on our backs with our rifles. Hell I was yeah. Just like, yeah th- I was like, yeah, this is, this is the way to fucking do it. I was like, I'm going to get greased on my last fucking day. The United know? States Army. Uh, this is best, the best we got. <laughs> this is the best we got. They're like, Hey guys, just lie down on top of each other. <clears throat> like, this is awesome. Uh, so yeah, so no, uh, crossing, crossing over our, my second deployment. There was no such thing. We didn't even take our own uh, equipment. Like every everything was already there, so it was just being passed on from unit to unit by that time. And um, so, yeah, it was. Yeah, again, it was getting to Kuwait and then keeping everybody sharp because um, they hadn't even determined our sectors yet. So, like uh, one two six was already there. They had deployed early, mm-hmm. um, and so I was with one seven my second tour. So again, like we were there for a solid like five or six weeks. It was long. So I mean, it's just like you want to keep your soldiers focused, but you don't want to have them too focused, right? You want guys right. to be able to relax, you know, chill out. Um, so we're just making sure guys were, you know, getting in PT, making sure guys were still going over, you know, six lanes, battle drills, um, you know, keeping the weapons, you know, everything maintenance, you know, make sure everyone was calling home, writing home, like whatever the case may be. What were your uh, what what were your concerns for those troops while you were there? Like, uh, I'm sure it was their first deployment. Sometimes for a lot of those guys, definitely it was yours. Or no, was it was it yours? No, no. For oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. You know, yeah, I so it's your really second time over there, and it's and and yeah. uh, you have to deal not deal with, but you you have these kids in your hands now. So uh, mm-hmm. what is yeah. like what is that like um, like uh and I don't want to say like emotionally, like you're attached to these kids and you're in the middle of this combat zone and it's a little bit spicy in, around 2006, right? What year was this? Yeah, it was yeah, 06. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the height of the sectarian violence. So we actually were part of the surge. Yeah. 
Okay. So we did the 15 months. Um, so it was, it, it's a, that's a great question. Uh, I had an incredibly experienced platoon. Uh, my platoon sergeant, uh, I ended up firing my platoon sergeant in Kuwait. Um, firing him? What the hell you fired him for? He was incompetent. Okay. And so um, he and I, it, it was unfortunate because he and I had a lot of friction. He, he came from a different, um, a different unit that folded in Bamberg, if I believe. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, we inherited him uh, about a year before we deployed and then, uh, or maybe like six months before we deployed. He was, he was, you know, he was an older, older E7. Um, and he was just one of those, like he, I remember his first day in, you know, in our barracks, he walked in the, you know, walked in the room and we call our platoon sergeants in the our, our artillery world, we'll call them smoke, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's just, uh, yeah. that that's what you do. It's, um, you know, it's an honorary thing. And so I was just like, you know, hey, Smoke, I'm I'm Lieutenant Robbins, blah, blah, blah. And I, he barely shook my hand. was just looking. He's like, where's my wall locker? And I was just like, oh, you're one of those. Okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so um, he just, he was one of, he, he just, he was artillery through and through, wanted nothing to do with maneuver, wouldn't learn. And the guy was just a fucking asshole. And uh, he and I had to be separated a couple of times in the office behind closed doors by, you know, E sexes and by my squad leaders and shit. So everyone knew that there was tension, but we were doing sticks lanes and shit in Kuwait and he wouldn't even get off the bus to learn. And so I was just like, all right. So I went to my commander. He was just like, all right, well, let me get with your NCOs. I want to hear it from them. So I was like, all right. So I brought in all my NCOs in and I was standing there and my commander looked at me. He's like, get the fuck out. I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) And so, um, I let, I let all of my, um, let all my squad leaders tell him. And after that meeting, he was just like, all right, we, we need to remove him. So, uh, my new platoon sergeant whom I had known uh, for years, uh, this was his third combat tour, both my squad leaders. Uh, this was their second or third. And even my gunner, uh, he was prior service Marine before he reenlisted in the, in the army that was like his third tour. Um, and I think even my fire team leaders said it was either second or third tour. So I had a, really a lot of experience, experience there. a lot yeah. of experience platoon. Um, but at the same time, and then there was others that were, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. And that's, again, I didn't worry about it too much because I had such an experienced NCO, you know, mm-hmm. uh, NCOs in my, in my, in my platoon. And they were, they were shit hot. They took such good care of those guys. Um, you know, the only things I really worried about was uh, was drugs because I had a couple soldiers piss hot before we deployed. Well, that's um, going to happen. I mean, yeah, you can be, yeah. I mean, you can fucking be out there with them every night, like babysitting them, and they're still going to snort a line of coke somewhere. So I would really yeah. wouldn't even worry yeah. about that so much. Like it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, but you do worry about it for combat effectiveness. Oh yeah, and, definitely that that part. Right? You know, <laughs> I, I would hope that somebody from the platoon if, if you saw me strung out on something you'd be like hey man fix your uh, shit no not not oh, yeah. fix your shit no 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 no. we're not doing that fix your shit shit because you know you need to get the you fuck ain't, out you of ain't, here you yeah, you, get, yeah, you gotta you ain't go going outside bro. the wire today yeah, yeah you gotta go you can't be here because i, I can't rely on you to do your yeah. job and watch these guys back i would feel like shit if one of these guys got fucked up 
because you're over here fucking fiending. You Acting know? like a dummy. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, that would that would be a, a concern for me definitely. So I feel yeah, you for sure. It it was it was we had so much drama in my platoon before we deployed, um, and even in Kuwait. I mean, it it was, it was just uh, it was almost out of like a movie. I had um, in another platoon, but in my battery, we had uh, one of my one of my soldiers while while we were out in the field for an MRE, you know, mission readiness exercise. So we're out in the field for a while. Uh, one of his best friends that was in another, uh, another battery, you know, um, in our battalion ended up, you know, sleeping with his wife and mm. he found out while we we're in the field, like, you know, my commander and first sergeant pulled him aside and told him. And, you know, when someone does that, you have to separate the other guy for the other guy's safety. Cause when, you know, when my, when my guys found out that, you know, another soldier in another battery had, you know, fucked another dude's wife, like it was, like, I mean, dudes are ready yeah. to fucking throw, you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Pay, man. yeah, you got you to separate them. You know, you got to separate that. And then we had that kind of drama going on. And um, we had another, uh, I had an NCO of mine, like my NCO uh, from the fire direction center at one point was telling people he slept with one of my soldier's wives. Oh, man. And, <laughs> but, it, but it didn't happen. And Why I would- caught wind of it. Uh, one of my soldiers was like, "Hey, sir, some shit's about to go down." And we were all we were at Graf at this point. He's like, "Hey, sir, some shit's about to go down in our barracks. You need to get over here." And so I didn't tell my commander, who ended up getting really fucking pissed that I didn't. And I went over to go break up, break it up. And so I was there right when he was confronting him. And of course, everyone had locked the doors and like, "Hey, let's let's see these guys go at it," you know. And you guys know how it is, you know, just you know, policing your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so. Uh, again, me, you know, like I said, I was, you know, former college boxer and everything. So I'm like, dude, if you guys are going to fucking do it, do it. You know, like I, I was cool with it. But I was just like, I'm also not going to let you guys break each other's faces because then again, that's on me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as soon, as soon as the, as soon as the pushing and shoving started getting out of hand, um, you know, I stepped in, broke it up and I, my soldiers were so fucking pissed. Like, damn, sir, why'd you fucking break it up? Like that, that was going to be our <laughs> entertainment, you know? Um, but then all of a sudden, word got back to my commander within like 20 minutes, and he got back to where we were all crashing, all the all the officers, and he just looked at me, like shook his head, you know, signaled with his finger, like get the fuck out here, and he and I he, he scuffed me up pretty good that night. He's like, why the fuck do you not tell me? Blah blah blah. And I'm like, hey sir, I'm letting my guys figure it out on their own. I was like, I, I was like, sir, I was there, so it's okay. And that still didn't. That didn't, that didn't screw right. it over. Yeah, but so, he's got to understand some things need to be handled by the enlisted and let them handle it. Like, uh, and and I and again, we, we just as long it. as I oversaw it, I was fine with it. Again, I. So That's I, kind of like a you got a you got a blend of like the old school army, like before us, and the new school army, right? So like, yeah, the shit that we've yeah. seen develop over the last twenty years, and and that the whole the whole concept of wall to wall counseling just doesn't fly anymore. Um, sure as fuck not now, but. Even back then, you know what I mean? It was kind of a touchy subject. You had to make sure that your chain of command was all on board. Otherwise, you're going to end up like you are, I guess. But uh, I, I'm per- personally, personally, I'm down with it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if your soldiers, if they got problems, let them fucking fight it out, obviously, yeah. under, that, you know, under the supervision. And once it's all said and done, you know what I'm saying? Somebody's bloodied. You know what I mean? The, the, the victor's been chosen or whatever the hell. And then 
problem fucking solved. Is there's it. beef after that? Nope. Man. No. Typically there isn't, right? And yeah, that's and that's what right. separates men. That's what separates men from women. Men like can punch each other in the face and go get a drink and be cool with it. Yeah. Women are gonna fucking hold on to that for fifty years and never fucking forgive the other one, you know? Um, so in most cases it, it worked out and it was fine. And I again I was very much uh, a fan of policing your own, keeping shit in house, uh, especially with um, you know when soldiers were getting in trouble. I was like, man, I don't want any of, I don't want anyone from my platoon standing in front of a sergeant major. I don't even want them standing in front of a fucking first sergeant. I want them standing in front of my platoon sergeant. You know, because if it gets past that, then it's just like we start we start losing control of our own. You know, um, and keeping mm-hmm. it at the platoon or company level was was my preference always because once shit starts going to battalion level, then, then your, your, your commander starts getting pissed. Like, Hey man, can't, why can't you control your troops? You know? Um, but so yeah, it, uh, I was, when we finally made it to Iraq, it was just like, shit, this can't be as dramatic as it was back in Graf or Owensfels or fucking Kuwait with, with all the drama we had. Um, so it was just, it was that shit under wraps. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> So going so going into that deployment, that was a an, an obvious concern. Just kind of hoping that like a lot of that drama just stays back in Germany, and that your dudes can stay focused on, you know, the the mission ahead of them and the that that year. How how long was that deployment for y'all? Was it just over a year, fifteen months? It was fifteen. Yeah, yeah. We uh, I think we left August or September, and we got back in November. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it. it that fifteen months is a long time. A year I mean, I'll say like time. fifteen months is a long time. Right, and I'll say like being being in charge of all these people, man. Like with, with all of that stuff that's going on, because I mean, you got you don't you don't, you don't just worry about like the enemy that's on the street or you know launching fucking rockets at you. It's in IEDs in the road. You're also worrying about the bullshit that's going on back home with each one of those soldiers and making sure that they're on top of their shit and that they're staying focused. I mean, we do the same thing. You know, as drills on the trail. Like you have to worry about like. Granted, it's only nine weeks, but it's just, or you know, unless you're an AIT drill, then it's longer. But you know, you said to worry about, you know, obviously the training and the the well being of all the soldiers that you have, and that includes like what's going on with them back home. Because I mean, if they're not focused, you know, if they're getting that phone call and they get that, you know, that uh, that uh, dear Johnny letter, or fucking phone call or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or something else is going on back home and they can't stay focused on training, obviously, like. The, the 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 consequences of that like the you know if they if they slip in training and in, in basic training it's not near as bad as if they slip in combat but fuck it's the same concept you know what i mean so it's it's a lot to handle it's a lot to juggle on top of doing your your primary role of trying to lead these troops in the right direction in combat yeah yeah well, no i mean it, i got a question it, about it, that yeah, kevin like uh when it comes down mm-hmm. to leading those troops in combat and, and training, do you see? Uh, have you been noticing any difference over time? Because you you kind of started back at a, at a time when the military was at a transition to now, where it's in a totally different mode, like women in the infantry and all that kind of stuff. Not saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying using that as an example. Mm-hmm. Have I noticed a change in in in, in what exactly though? The the change in like <clears throat> soldiers' attitudes towards training. 
Were they like gung ho about it? Were they like a uh, couple of people are no. like, I don't give a fuck about this. I'm just here for the paycheck. Like, what what was the deal? <laughs> no, yeah, man. My first time on the trail was in 2009, and uh, a lot of those dudes were like very gung ho about it. I mean, they 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 joined out of patriotism to go serve, to do this, to do that. And my last time was in 2017, and it was a, a huge difference. It was like a lot of like, uh, you know, there was there was some whining, right? There, I mean, I had a handful of soldiers that were like all about it. You know what I mean? But there was there was some whining. Right. There was definitely some some uh, additional hurdles later on. But, you know, like we talked about with Sergeant Major Absher, you know, it's like we, we're dealing with the smarter troops, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they 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 have an edge in in, in that uh, in that way. But uh, there there is a huge difference between when when, you know, we all came in and then, you know, 2009 during that big surge in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then and then now it's a huge difference. What was uh, so? What what would you say is the di- uh, hmm, I'm thinking about this. Think your words, man. Think your words. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> the troops coming into your platoon, not you, Kevin. The the right. you as an officer, the troops coming into your platoon. Did you notice that? Hey, these motherfuckers are sharp, or hey, like man, these guys uh, maybe shouldn't be here sometimes. Like, did. You feel that the training, the basic training they received was proper when you received them at your company or your platoon. So that's a, it's interesting because mech world is different than the light world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I feel it it was all in, it it was essentially if the, if it was a good, if it was a good soldier, it didn't matter. If these guys, if you know, whether they're, you know, private, PF, you know, one, two or three or specialists, it, you know, what I saw is when these guys would get there, even when I got to my, you know, as a second lieutenant, what the fuck did I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to their training, it's just like, hey, do you fall in line? Do you, do you get with, you know, do you, you follow what your NCOs are telling you? Um, you know, again, are you, are you fucking problem? Because with with the army we make it simple right we we try to make everything simple so that everyone's on the same page and so it wasn't like hey you guys training fucking sucks i'd hear the nco say it all the time like oh man hey it's ait's turning shit blah 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 but i'm like dude i don't i don't i don't fucking know the difference like i you know i wasn't enlisted right so i i, I don't know um but for my what i saw both with with charlie 126 and with Charlie one seven, um, the good soldiers o- o- always came through, right? Mm-hmm. If they, if, I mean, if they had the discipline, and if they had, if they had the desire to be good at what they were supposed to be doing, they did. Um, and, and if they didn't, someone failed them along the way. But yeah, there is. I mean, some of the best soldiers you have are not the brightest, and that was the only. That was one of the few things that kind of pissed me off about what our, at least our, our brigade was doing at the time. They were like, every time someone got to E4, it was, Hey, Hey, you got to get them ready for the boards, you know? Right. And I was just like, guys, not everyone's meant to be an NCO. Oh man. That's absolutely you know? 100% like, percent true. Like, uh-huh. and you can be a great specialist in a horrific NCO. <clears throat> you can be a great soul. You can be a, a really good soldier and not, not a good NCO. Cause to me, a good soldier 
you know, fucking follows orders and does things exactly how they're told and does it well and steps up. Right. I mean, that's, that's what a soldier does. And we're all soldiers in the army, you know, we're soldiers first. Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, I had soldiers that were, were not fucking bright, but they would follow orders very well. They could accomplish tasks, yeah. but you're like, Hey, are you going to get them, you know, lead, are, are these guys going to lead a squad? No, they're not. You know, it, right. So, I mean, that was, it was just, it felt like a, a force feeder system. Like, Hey, yeah. this guy's got to be in COs, got to be in COs. Just like, no, nah, let them be soldiers, man. And the ones that really want to be in COs, show them the way. Give them now, the and there should to be, be successful. There should be some kind of pathway for that. I think, um, because you're right though. Not, not every soldier is meant to be an NCO. Not every NCO needs to be an NCO. Like some people just don't have that leadership ability. And I, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, it's something that can be learned. I really don't because I've met NCOs, you know, people who are E7s, um, matter of fact, uh, well, E7s and one that I know of in particular that's on the eight list currently who is an absolute moron, like no leadership <laughs> ability. Jesus. No, nah, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name his name. He don't listen to this shit anyway, but um, absolute fucking moron. Right. And if, it's he, just, if he does, you just lost a listener, but okay. Yeah. Right. Well, <clears throat> whoops. Um, but no, I mean, to, but there's, there needs to be something for that because you're right. There, there are people who are just, who are designed or, or are really great workers, really great at just knocking out whatever task is before them. And I think forcing people to go to the board does a couple of things. One, like if they fail that board, if they don't do well, then now they feel down on themselves. Like they don't feel successful. They don't feel like they've accomplished anything. And they, they feel like they've let their leadership down. And for these hard workers that are soldiers, that's a big blow to their, to their, um, to their morale. Right. Um, and then two, it just, it just makes them feel like a fucking failure. And they're not failures. They're just, it's just not what's for them. And I, you know, I mean, and three, I think this is a kind of a, a big one. When we promote people um, <clears throat> who don't need to promote, exactly. the army suffers. Thank you. The army suffers. You know, and that's, that's a huge problem. That's yep. a huge problem. I mean, you know. And, and I don't know this for a fact um, at all, but I'm assuming they do that because I'm sure there's some kind of, measurement or matrix for mm-hmm. each battalion brigade and you know on up with hey you have so many soldiers and so many are turning into e5 so many e5s are going to e6 under your tenure right mm-hmm. and it's just like hey if not too many people are making the e5 list or you know e6 list, e6 list whatever the case may be what's going on in that battalion what's going on in that right you know task force whatever the case may be and, and I understand that, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, we, we want to see people progress in the Army, um, as they should. But at the same time, and, and I, I mean, I think behind closed doors, if everyone's, you know, throwing back a pint, most people would agree. Like, yeah, there are soldiers, people who just are, again, great, great at accomplishing tasks, will do exactly as you tell, and will show up on time, will, you know, have their uniform straight, you know, the barracks room straight. Like, hey, these guys are good to go. But yeah. when it comes to actually, you know, leading troops in combat or making, you know, leading troops in garrison, it's just like, shit, man. No, I don't trust them to do that. You know? Right. And, um, and it's the same way with, with officers too. I mean, there was plenty of officers that <laughs> I was either, at, you know, OBC with or at commissioning with, or even, um, you know, in Germany with or in Iraq with, I'm like, how the fuck did you make it through puberty? You know, I'm just <laughs> like, you, you guys, I mean, there's, there yeah. are some, there are some guys who are just like, holy shit, you know, 
How are you alive right now? Right. Well, I mean, and and I'm not saying I was, you know, getting pinned fucking general or anything else like that. I was some uh, amazing officer, but at the same time, you know, you get rated against every, you know, you get rated Mm -hmm. against your peers, you know, same thing with NCOs. Um, But it's just like, dude, man, some of these guys were idiots and other guys just didn't give a shit. And you're like, dude, if you don't give a shit, then why the fuck are you here? Yeah, you know right. that that would that would that was always my rub um, with with the officer corps is that pretty much in, as an officer if you don't fuck up royally you you go from second lieutenant to first lieutenant first lieutenant to captain now yeah. once you're a captain and if you're a huge fuck up you don't get command you know you don't you don't get to become uh, you know you don't get any uh, you know good position in the you know in like the S two S three shop or anything like that. And you pretty much get phased out. Um, but if anyone's being honest, like, you know, and again, that in combat too, I mean, I'm sure you guys had, um, had seen officers that were not up to snuff. I mean, um, yeah. we had, when I first got to uh, Charlie one, two, six, again, like I relieved the guy who got fired. And then right. when I got there, uh, the PL for one of the platoons, he got fired. And I was his hooch mate for like a week and then he got fucking pulled. And um, then his replacement was a guy I was, you know, I knew back in the rear detachment before I deployed. He lasted a month and he, he got injured. So, I mean, we had one platoon that had three different platoon leaders in one deployment. That's got to be fucking tough on the platoon sergeant and the troops and the soldiers, man. You know? Yeah. Like you get yeah, three different sure. PLs, one gets fired, one gets hurt. And then you get, you know, your third one. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just it. You know, the turnover is pretty crazy. I know every platoon pretty much went through at least uh, one or two platoon leaders just because of timing. Um, <clears throat> but it's just interesting hearing about you guys how Rockefeller pretty much showed up. Captain Rockefeller showed up like right before you all deployed. the day of the right? day we deployed. And, yeah, and so you got to think for first sergeant Salinas and all of you all, like man, we're getting a new a new CO. Mm-hmm. And like, who, who the fuck is this guy? Like, is this guy good to go? Like, what's his personality? All of those things. Yeah. And then well, do, do you, do you guys, were you guys thinking, Hey, what does Captain Rockefeller think of us? Like, you know, you know I mean, it, there, there's always two sides of it where, where he wants to make a splash, right? He wants to say, Hey, new sheriff in town, this is the way we're going to do things and we're going to accomplish our mission. And I'm going to bring everybody home, you know? Yeah. I think um, to be honest, um, it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like anything crazy with him. I didn't have a feeling like, oh, yeah. man, I got to impress this dude. We were going to fucking Iraq. I can give a fuck about this guy. To be honest, yeah, right. was my initial feeling. And uh, the guy that he replaced, we were happy as shit. He was gone. So yeah, like you could have <laughs> put anybody, any fucking buddy, in, in 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 place of that dude, and we would have been happy. I think that was a big anybody. part of it, honestly, like for us, right? Because we knew the commander that we had before Captain Rock, and we were like, please, God, fucking get rid of this dude. Like, give us something, a a, a rock, some dead weight that you can put on Captain Bars, and and we'll be happy. So I, th- I think, and I think Captain Rock coming in, right? I think I think he was briefed on on this, and I, I don't know if there was a command cl- a command cl- a climate survey that was done, and we were just like flat out honest about how much that dude sucked, and you know Captain Rock was briefed on it, but he came in he came in the right way, right? Like he didn't come in there and start trying to reinvent the wheel as as some people yeah. do, right? He he came in, it was very easy transition. Obviously, it was the day of, 
you know, he was just like, look, guys, I, you know, I know this is like a thing, you know, we're deploying today, but uh, we're going to, we're going to make the best of it. And I mean, I, th- I honestly, I think that that initial meeting at that, at that change of command ceremony was, uh, I mean, just seeing the guy, like he, he definitely just, he looked competent. He mm-hmm. looked, and plus, you know, it, it, it didn't, didn't hurt having that Ranger scroll on his, on his right sleeve, you know? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, I when say, I first yeah. saw that shit, I'm like, Hey, we're all right. At least yeah, right. on the, on the face value of it. We're going to, right. or not even we're all right. We're going to see what the motherfuckers are about is what I, what I was really thinking. I'm like, we're going to do yeah. some shit because he's done some training or something that's going to get us, get us going. You know, it's going to be some cool shit. I think, I think one other thing that I think we felt comfortable with though, is regardless of who the commander was, we, I think we had a lot of faith in first Sergeant Salinas and backing us up. Right. Oh, yeah. And yeah. the guys and, that are already there, man, we, we've been yeah. there forever and we, that's fucking the back of my hand. Come on. Yeah. yeah, you guys go back to Kosovo together and everything. So I know that, right. that I'm sure helped. Oh man, yeah, uh, for but, sure. Everything. But a lot of what a lot of soldiers I know um, from my experience, at least with with Charlie One Two Six, with uh, with Captain Archambault. Again, it was you know Captain Rockefeller is fucking brilliant. He's a smart man, mm-hmm. a really really smart guy, and and it was the same with Captain Archambault and. But again, like the, the, those guys would fuck you up in a second too, right? I mean, they're they're all about the army, and um, again, um, you, you know, you, you saw he had a, a ranger battalion scroll on his fucking right arm, like, dude, yeah, the guy's been to combat with a ranger bat, like, mm-hmm. guy knows what he's doing. I mean, only only the top, only the cream of the crop have those as officers, you know. Maybe mm-hmm. that's and, why they um, sent them over there. That, and that's why I sent them to you guys. <laughs> Maybe right? that's but, what it was. Like it was so dire. We got to get fucking. Captain Super Captain in this motherfucker. Right Captain now. fucking America, basically. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say Captain America, but I mean, what a lot of soldiers, some soldiers, are like, oh yeah, well, you know, this guy's got a, you know, a wrench scroll on his right arm, wrench tab on his left arm, like, guy's good to go. And it's just like, hey man, you know, um, the, the intelligence really plays a part too. Yeah. And um, and, and Rocker, Rockefeller had it in spades. And I know every single officer that, that served under Rockefeller's tenure. Um, was just they all uh, they all revered him, loved him, but they all respected him. You know, because you can be you can respect a guy and not like a guy, mm-hmm. right? But um, every everyone, all the officers are just like, yeah, that guy's the smartest man in the room, but doesn't act like it. And yeah, that that guy's fucking good to go. Mm-hmm. And pretty much most of us felt the same way about uh, Cap Marshambo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just really hard on second lieutenants uh, intentionally, right? And uh, no one fucking told me that until, <laughs> <laughs> until uh, you know, being like a month or two into my deployment, and I'm just like, "What the fuck is this guy's problem with me?" And um, I remember the first sergeant of all people, first sergeant Hickey. Um, I don't know if you guys ever crossed paths with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, um, I mean, Cat Marshall fucking ripped my ass one day, and I, I was just like. We're we're gonna fucking I'm gonna get in a fucking fist fight with my company commander. Holy shit! Uh, I'm gonna get court martialed in fucking Iraq, and I'm not gonna, you know, screw getting killed, man. I'm gonna get fucking taken out in cuffs, man. And cat, uh, so cat Marshall leaves to talk, and I'm just like, I, I look like a whip dog. And first sergeant Hickey walks up to me with a shit eating grin, and he's just like, you know, he's fucking with you, right? I'm like, no, first sergeant, and he's just like. He yelled at you because he hasn't yelled at you yet, and he's pissed. He's pissed he hasn't gotten an opportunity to yell at you yet. So he just fucking made up a reason. 
He's like, you're fine. He's like, get the fuck out of here. I was like, all right, first arm. So, I, so I, I just, I just, I, you know, my first arm was my daddy, right? And uh, yeah, man, you got a love top. He's always there, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was just funny. But um, and again, like we, we again, we had Cap Marshambo, fucking shit hot. Um, RXO was uh, um, lieutenant at the time. Um, he ended up getting out Captain Montrose, who was the mortar platoon leader um, prior to coming over. Uh, Wait, to, our uh, uh, Jeff Montrose? Jeff Montrose, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was our PO also. He was second yeah, yeah, to yeah. PO for like right after Kosovo, right? Yeah, so he, he we had him, and then we got Lieutenant Gunther, and then we got uh, uh, Lieutenant Westling. Yeah. Dude, <clears> you guys had fucking talk about, dude. So we were so actually you, super lucky with all of our fucking um, uh, there, yeah, PLs. Super lucky. We had a really good way to put it. Holy shit, man. That's, yeah, we had you guys uh, know uh, You guys know Jeff Montrose's background like before he got to you guys? He uh yeah E six uh, uh over at uh, Fort Bragg and went to officer. Um, yeah, so like, where did he go to school? That I don't I don't I don't know what where he went to school. I remember, um, because I remember he was the first lieutenant in my XO, and I'm like, dude, you look old as fuck, <laughs> right? So, so here I am, 23 years old, butter bar, and I got this guy who looks like he's 40 as a first mm-hmm. lieutenant. You know, like completely balding and shit, which I am too now, but um. Well, I was then too. I was just shaved my head, but you know, right. Jeff didn't. Jeff didn't give a fuck. No, but, he did um, not. You know, and, and again, he he didn't. He was very unassuming. You know, quiet guy. Um, but when I first got there, you know, he he talked to me, man, and and he, he told me about um, you know, hey, uh, you know, I lost four of my old um, you know soldiers with the you know with that uh, ID attack with the with the mortar platoon that got Colonel Allen mm-hmm. fired. Right, that's uh, what opened the door for. Colonel shot to come in um, and talk about a true leader, right? Colonel, Colonel shot. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he got, uh, he got, he was number, he got second place at best ranger competition. Yep. Um, yep. Back when he was like a, he said he went to range school and he was like an E4. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guy yeah. was fucking solid, super smart. Um, so yeah, he, he, he showed up to us, there. you know, um, showed up to us with his, you know, EIB uh, airborne ranger tab. And like you said, older looking guy. And we're like, how's this guy fucking butter bar? So yeah, we learned this. He made it to E6 at the, uh, pretty much all at Bragg. Um, he had, oh, what was it? He had something, whatever they gave him for competing in be- uh, the best ranger. He had a thing that he had up in display in his office. Was it a knife um, or a pistol? It was something, a knife, a pistol, something the, like that. You know. I think the winners normally get pistols. So I, I don't, uh, so he, his must have been, been a, a pistol. Yeah. yeah, I think he had a knife. But um, we're actually um, real, we're actually really hoping to, uh, to have him on the show too. He's uh, living in Germany. wrote uh, wrote a book about his um, experiences, um, and uh, yeah, he seems to be doing really smart well. Smart guy, living the yeah, dream. Out super there, smart dude. I think one of my yeah, favorite so, I mean, memories yeah. of him, though. I think one of my favorite memories of him, though, is um, <clears throat> you know when he was still a second lieutenant. We were down to arms room, and I, I, we were I don't know if weapons draw was going too slow or something, but he was just not having. He was pissed. And he tried to, he, he smoked us all. He dropped us all there in the fucking hallway. And we're like, who is this officer trying to, you know, to drop us? You know, like knowing, knowing he was an E6 prior to, you know, just what, fucking eight months ago or whatever it was. You know what I mean? Um, you know, like what, the, what, what is going on with this? But like, we, we respected him enough and we understood where he was coming from. Um, but he was, he was a real good dude though. I would have been happy to play with him too. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was funny because I say funny because it's not a funny story at all, but Interesting is a better way of putting it. So, you know, I, I get out. I mean, you know, I meet Charlie one two six. 
out of Palo Alto. And it was on the outskirts. I don't know if you guys ever made it out there when you were deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, so our sector was Asaki, uh, which was even further out. So Palo Alto in 04 and 05 was the most mortared fob in all of Iraq. And um, it was just, it was Task Force 177. So it was, we had a, um, a 177 company, Charlie Rock, and that was pretty much it. And then like Colonel Hubner and his staff. And so we, we didn't have a DFAC until right before we left. We had a rink-a-dink gym. Uh, we got a gym before we got yeah, DFAC. We ate out of Mermites. <laughs> For the vast majority of, uh, of our of our deployment, right? Priorities, so, yeah. uh, so, it, you know, so I get there. It was right after, um, right after Baton Rouge, right? So, mm-hmm. we had a major offensive, and Archambault was there for like a month, month and a half, and then he took R and R. So, me and Montrose went out with. Um, you know, a bunch of vehicles and we did a, it was, we were meeting with the city mayor of Asaki. And so it was a city council meeting, which Cap Marshambeau would normally attend, but uh, Lieutenant Montrose was, um, you know, was acting CEO, you know, again, perfectly capable. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it was me and, and Jeff sitting next to each other in the fucking meeting. And I had been up, I think on a night mission the night before. And so I'm like falling asleep in this fucking thing. Cause no one's speaking English. It's all in Arabic. And and Jeff was like nudging me. He's like, dude, you're worse than a fucking private. Wake the fuck up. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was just like, I was just like, Jeff, man, they're not speaking English. And he's just like, wake the fuck up, Robin. So I'm like, all right, I'm trying. And with that, I think I dozed off. And then out of nowhere, the biggest fucking explosion and the ball of fire just flashed right me, right, right in front of me and Jeff. Hmm. And um, the whole fucking room just like everyone piles up, like everyone gets gets blown onto each other and we're like we're pushing iraqis off of us and shit like that and me and jeff are like oh fuck and we go running out of the building and we got hit by a v-bit and uh took out the fucking bradley that connor was in and um so oddly enough you know jeff and i were like the first ones to get to the fucking blown up bradley and um connor was in there and the driver had left his hatch open a little bit and so he got shrapnel to the face and so, um, you know, you guys know, like once, once a fucking IED, well, this was, you know, D-bid, you know, to the civilian listeners, it's a suicide bomber. Um, so, you know, all the, all the mass, mass cows are fucking rocking and rolling, shooting at nothing. Cause you know, there wasn't anything to shoot at it was fucking in the city. And, um, so we get, you know, I was the first one there, pull, pull Connor out and get him between a, a wall and a fucking Humvee. And then uh, there was another NCO that was gunning that he was, he was fucked up, but he, he could pull through, but Connor had lost vision. He had both of his eyes um, slit. So as you guys know, a loss of limb or eyesight, you got a fucking nine line medevac. Right. So um, where our, uh, always our, our point was uh, FOB Hawaii, which was our, uh, which was our range, right. Where the Iraqi army would train too. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, all right, let's split the platoon up. Uh, three quarters go with you know go with Jeff and the fucking wounded uh, and, and Connor who was wounded. Get him out to Hawaii so we can get him you know medevaced out. And then uh, me and like three other guys stay behind with a fucked up Bradley and one Humvee to wait for QRF who'd already been fucking you know alerted. And um, yeah, I mean that was my first like mission out with Jeff. 
was that was that fucking day. What a memorable it was actually, one. Right? And it's it's interesting because I was the fucking new guy at that point still. And um that, that's how you you know, and we got back that night, long fucking day. And I remember um as soon as Jeff left and was getting Connor out, that's all you could think about, right? You're like, fuck man. Cause I remember I could hear him screaming over the fucking cruisers, you know, just uh, rocking and rolling. Cause I could, I mean, that's how I knew he was still in there was, yeah. uh, you know, cause it's, you know, the Bradley's, you know, leaking fuel, that shit, you know, it's a slow burn. Um, and we had to stay with it cause of all the fucking cigars and shit in there. So, um, you know, so me and the three other guys, we had a wounded guy in the fucking Humvee and had him pouring like water over his face to help get all the shit out of his eyes. So we just pulled security around the fucking Bradley and, you know, as you know, just taking a knee. And then that's when a fucking sandstorm picked up. And I remember that was like the first time when I was in Iraq and back in OIF too, I was just like, dude, this is how it's going to fucking go down. I'm going to get greased out here because there's a fucking sandstorm. I can't see anything in front of me. You know, I'm a fucking second lieutenant. Don't know shit. And I, you know, you know, my, my XO just left me to go get a guy, you know, get a guy, you know, nine mile out. And, um, it was just, it was interesting. Um, it, it, it never was go came. time, man. It was, uh, it was, all the training. It never, it's time for the, all that shit to it, come to fruition now. Like it's ready. It's time to go. You're, you're in charge. And it, and it never came, you know? And that's, I was just like, dude, we're so fucking vulnerable right now. If these guys had their act together. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have, they could have gotten another, they could have gotten an officer and a couple other soldiers, you know, cause like, I mean, in the middle of a sandstorm and everything, but, um, it didn't happen. And you want to talk God, about, but... you want to talk about an actual, like, uh, <laughs> I'm laughing to myself, but an actual wake up call, right? You can say that cause you were napping and then the shit just happens and it's just fucking mass chaos. Like immediately, uh, it's just, that's, that's a lot to deal with in, in those. And what's wild to me, right. Is you can be so exhausted, um, to the point of like passing out and probably what was considered to, to some folks, a pretty important meeting, you know, <clears throat> and, and then something like that happens. And then you were just on the highest alert. And I, yeah. I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the world that we live in when we're on deployment, like when we're in combat, like no matter how exhausted you are, when, when it's time to act, when it's time to respond, return fire or shoot, move and uh, communicate, like it just fucking goes. It just happens. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, rem- I, I still remember, you know, carrying my rifle at the low ready and Jeff and I could PT, right? Um, I, mean, I had the best fucking two mile time on my battalion. Um, so thankfully for Connor, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, me and Montrose could, you know, could get there pretty fucking quickly, right? I mean, even with all the gear on, um, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were there instantly. And, um, it, and when we got back, uh, so Connor never, it, when Connor got nine lined out, he was fine. Uh, he's, he's out of the army. He's got his vision. He's, he, you know, he's got you know, a bunch of kids. He's, he's Dang, all, nice. he's all, he's all well and good. Um, it's good to hear. Yeah. No, it's great to hear. And, and yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really fucking know him that well. Cause I'd only been there like, you know, six weeks or so when this happened, but I remember we just got back and we were out partying. Um, had it been like at the East side or some shit like that. And, and, in Schweinfurt and I saw Connor at the bar and he, you know, had some girl with him with shit. And I walked up, I was like, Hey Connor, what's going on? 
I was like, it's good to fucking see you. I'm glad you're doing well. And he looked at me. He was, he was fucking three sheets to the wind. And he was just like, who the fuck are you? And I, you know, I was just like, what? I was like, what? And this like, mother- instantly, I was like, instantly, like Sergeant Kapow and fucking a couple other guys from Charlie Company had me out of the way, had him up by the fucking throat. And they're like, yeah. do you know who that, they're like, do you know who that is? And he was just like, and, and, and all of a sudden he like, you know, when you're kind of drunk and all of a sudden you're just like, oh shit, I just fucked up, right? Yeah. And and then he's just like, I have no idea. They're like, that's Lieutenant Robbins. And he's like, I don't know who that is. And I, and I remember this because, you know, I just gotten there and Kapow was just like, he's the one who fucking pulled you out, you idiot. And then like, <laughs> he, he felt so small. And he's like, oh, sir, let me buy you a drink, blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, I'm the officer. You're the soldier. I buy you a drink, man. And he was just like, all right, cool. You know, like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, let me buy you a drink and you can get back to the, you know, the slam piece you're talking to, you know? Um, yeah, right. But uh, so, yeah, it was just, um, but when we got back from that mission, it was, it was nothing but hugs and, you know, I love yous and everything. And it was, that was almost my indoctrination. Like, Hey, this guy's all right. You know, he yeah. was out there. He was in the shit. Everyone got back. Everyone's okay. And, um, like ever, all of us handled ourselves. Well, I remember when first Sergeant Hickey was with QRF, like we're all out there. Um, uh, a side note, um, found, uh, found part of the dude's brain mm-hmm. that fucking drove the, drove the car and, uh, got to ask another officer to take a picture of me pissing on it. So, um, if anyone ever wants to meet someone who's pissed on human brains before you're you're talking to him or you can write me a letter and I'll sign it for you. But, um, so yeah, that was, um, that was a wild, crazy day. That was my first, uh, that was my first combat, um, scenario. So I got you a question on that. So going back to that ass-chewing that you got from your commander, right. And then comparing mm-hmm. that ass-chewing to that day, it kind of makes that ass-chewing like pale in comparison, right? Doesn't even fucking, oh my goodness. It's laughable. Completely right. laughable. Yeah. Just, I mean, that is days like that or other times on our, on, on what you guys went through and uh, your tour, what I went through in OF2 with Charlie Rock or in my second tour, it, it really puts shit in perspective. And that's when, again, you can have, you have, you know, two soldiers, you know, fucking angry at each other. You know, it's like the dude's fucking dirty, doesn't bathe, doesn't fucking brush his teeth, like guy's a piece of shit, whatever, fuck him. And he's like, no, fuck you. And then all of a sudden you're out there and shit goes down. I mean, when you're taking care of each other, that's the only thing that fucking matters. And right. getting everyone back safely is the only thing that fucking matters. And it really puts things in perspective. And we all lose it, you know. Um, you know, in between missions and shit like that, like, you know, you let the you let the petty shit crawl back in. But mm-hmm. when, when you, when you get reminded about how precious everything is around you and how much the guy next to you can fucking save your life can be, you know, can be the one thing that saves your life. And, you know, next thing is you're, you're, you know, you're in a fucking casket. It's, um, it's incredibly sobering and all that other shit washes away. I mean, when we got back, Cat Marshambo invited me over to his house with all the other officers that he liked, quote unquote. There were a couple of guys that one of which that you know got fired, a couple of them that got fired, um, didn't go. But like that was an honor when Cat Marshambo, 
um, invited me over to his house after we all got back from deployment, that meant the world to me. Yeah. And the, the day he penned a CIB on me in Iraq after um, it was on November 11th, it was uh, Veterans Day. We held a ceremony on Fa Palawada and everyone who uh, earned their CIB who hadn't had their CIB given to them yet were given it in a ceremony. And he even fucking called me up and pinned one on me. And he's just like, yeah, you're probably pissed. You probably wish this were a fucking cannon with a wreath instead of a Kentucky rifle, you know? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that was Scott Marshambeau, but mm-hmm. um, I still have that CIB on display in my home office. That nice. is my most prized. That CIB <clears throat> is the most prized position I have from the Army um, outside of the uh, AK-47 bayonet that Cat Marshambeau had inscribed to me um, after after OIF-2. That's pretty badass, man. Things. Yeah, I mean, like those are the two things I cherish the most: is a CIB that I can't wear officially wear of my uniform, um, and uh, an AK forty seven bayonet with Rock one eight, which was my call sign, and um, you know OIF two. Like it's just like, yeah, those are two things that if you were to ask me what are the two things you're proudest of the most in the army, I'm those two things right there. Yeah, I hear that. I uh. I have a, in my living room, I have a whole wall, you know, with, with like the, uh, the, 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 the Betsy Ross flag and the, the constitution and the declaration and then a folded flag that, uh, I believe belonged to my, uh, oh man, my, my granddad. And then, um, on my mom's side and then, um, my, what my award, I got an ARCOM with, with, with V device on it for some, uh, some fun runs in Iraq. And then uh, on that award, though, I have my original blue cord that I got uh, when I, for our turning blue ceremony at, at Benning when I was a private. Um, that one, uh, that one, and my my cross rifles and my my original cross rifles when I was a private, and then my yeah, obviously my CIB. Like those, those are those 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 kind of fall. Like those are my things. Yeah, those are those are the things that like don't touch that. You know what I mean? Like get get away from that. Yeah. You can look at it, don't touch. Kevin, I still got my yeah. CIB. Do you? Yeah, same one. It's fucking bronze now. Yeah. So how long how long has that been on your keychain, man? That's been on there for fucking ever. Uh, since two thousand, or you know, wait, wait, the same though. Since two thousand five, I got a car when yeah. I got back, or I used my mom's car when I got back. So I threw yeah. it on the keychain, and there it was. Yeah, Spence. So he's got a, he's got a, um his CIB is is uh, he turned into a keychain, and it's uh, obviously not the you know the the black color that it was. It's Still hanging in there. I like literally it. hanging in there. Yeah, I, I didn't uh, make it. Like make that. it a keychain. It just uh, I looped the uh, keychain loop around the wreath on the on the thing. Yeah, so that's why it's like that. But I'll, yeah. I'll post a picture of it for anyone who's still listening. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool though, man. That's like a that's that's almost a, a hand me down thing. You know what I mean? Like not a hand me down thing. A um, shit. What am I thinking of? You know, like you pass it on to the fucking family heirloom or some shit yeah it is definitely it's gonna be because uh i mean i that was we got that on my birthday too so that's like super special to me well my my dog my dog tags that i wore during both deployments my daughter has hanging in her room nice that's cool though that's a something something anyone can have fucking made but those are the actual dog tags that i that i wore both deployments that's that's one thing that I'm super jealous of of all the folks that you know all, all you folks that got kids and shit like you got those things that you can pass that down to, um, 
And like, you know, it, there's a story to tell that goes along with it, right? Like, these are the tags that I wore that like, and, 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 and when you know what dog tags are for, right? If, if, if you, if, if the, per, the kid or whoever the fuck knows what dog tags are for, and then you explain to them that these are the tags that I wore in combat, like these were the tags that were designed to identify my unidentifiable body. This, this was the one I had on my ass that was, you know, dummy quarter from my belt loop and my, my ass pocket. <laughs> and then this is the one that was in my fucking boot. Yeah. So, you know, and if uh, you couldn't be identified by either one, it was a bad fucking day, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, no, and you know, she's only seven uh, and she, all she knows is, Hey, those are, those are daddy's dog tags he wore in the army. And so she mm-hmm. probably associates it like, me walking around with a dog, you know, but right, yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. When at, when she gets older, she's gonna understand. And um, again, my my family has that has that lineage, but it it just for those who have been in it, that's what it you know it, it means something means something special to me for maybe a different reason than for you two, or maybe the same. Um, and. And again, I mean, out, outside of those two things that, you know, things I cherish the most are the friendships and the brotherhood that I have with, with, you know, you know, the guys in, in, in both deployments. But when you have that shit on display, again, like it just, it keeps shit in perspective. It's sometimes I look up and I see the, you know, I see the bayonet on my bookshelf or I see, you know, my CIB, you know, that I have with my airborne wings and all the fucking, um, coin you know battle coins and shit like that mm-hmm. from from multiple deployments and stuff it's just like yeah man like uh, at least i'm not getting shot at you right know, like, it, it, it's it's all right I, I could be pissed could be having a bad day but i'm not getting shot at and um to kind of bring the uh the mantra story full circle there so we get we you know we get back connor's okay we get back to the fob and then within i think like one or two days you know, Jeff had arranged a company size raid on Asaki where we were hit. And uh, the operation was Operation Connor. You know, we named it after after a soldier that got, you know, that got sent back home, um, you, know, met, you know, wounded and everything and um, went in there. And uh, again, I was, I, I, I think the world of Jeff, um, really good fucking dude. Think the world of Cat Marsh and Bo and, um, you know, again, you guys being super lucky with having Montrose, Gunther, you know, I guess what is Gunther Tentacrum now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Smart, smart fucking dude. Good guy. And then with, uh, with Warren Westland, I mean, three different personalities, um, three different oh, yeah. types of leadership, but all three solid, you know, and, um, that's, I'm happy for you guys that you had that because sometimes having a, you know, shit hot PL, uh, which to some people sounds pretty like an oxymoron, but uh, you know, having, having a platoon leader, you're like, yeah, this guy's not an idiot. Um, when you have a company commander that is like the guy that, you know, uh, Rockefeller's predecessor. Um, yeah, man, that, that's, that, that, that's good to go. So you, you guys had good, good officer leadership. It sounds like when you were deployed and that um, you can't, you can't fucking beat that. And Garrison I mean, too, because uh, what Jurek before everybody else, uh, mm-hmm. he was there. He was awesome. Like we were literally had like the best leaders across the With board. The I can't think that of that one any. commander. Yeah, yeah that like, was it. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> when we got back, when we got back, 
who was it? We had a lieutenant that come in. His next, he, he was his, he was Johnson, Lieutenant Johnson. I don't know. I think he was replacing Wesling, but I, I can't remember if the, the timeline matches. But uh, only thing I remember about that guy because I was I was about TTS, but I was standing in formation and I had a, a flower on my fucking uniform or something somewhere because you know what the fuck did I care? And he came <laughs> up to me and was like, "Hey, take that fucking flower off." And I was like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> Okay, Butterbar. <laughs> but I'm sure he was a great guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's a Johnson. Oh, so man. How I, could he be? I met him once before I left. I, I didn't. I forgot about him completely. Not saying something. Dude, wrong it was with that. Him. It was that formation. You remember when we were at the barracks over in Con, and like I get a call from Sergeant Smith, and he's like, "Bro, are y'all coming today?" And you know, because we never went to work. Yeah, right. We're we were. Well, they moved everybody that was ETSing. They they moved us all over to Con Barracks. Right. So we didn't have cars. We didn't have ways to get back over to Ledward. And so Sergeant Smith calls us and he's like, hey, man, are y'all are y'all coming into work today? And we're like, I don't know, maybe. And he's like, well, we're having an awards thing. So if y'all want to come to that, it's like, oh, OK, cool. We'll be there. And yeah, that's that's when I met this dude. Get that flower out of your uniform or hair or whatever the fuck I had. It. And I was like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> it was pretty funny, man. I couldn't uh, I couldn't I don't think I couldn't like contain my laughter <laughs> when that should actually happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, "Come on, bro!" But I mean, you know, I get it, right? You still got it. Still in the army. So Welcome gotta, to the jungle, play. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm I'm sure he was a good guy, though. Um, he looked like he was probably pretty sharp too. Yeah, we got. Did you do you know what I'm talking about? Who's, who's been going, uh, Lieutenant Johnson? No, I'm. I was trying to think because, um, I mean, I got a bunch of really, really good friends. Um, some of which are, you know, uh, life. I mean, lifelong friends. Um. So do you? So here, here's. Do you guys remember your FSO, uh, Lieutenant Ammons? You, he was your FSO during OIF too. Nah, we. He was a uh, we Who was that? Uh, well, I mean, he got out as a captain, but uh, Travis Ammons, Lieutenant Ammons, we, we've been. That rings a um, bell. Yeah, he was your FSO. Uh, he and I were pretty good friends. Um, I mean, he, you know, he was on. He he was an asset to you know to Rockefeller, like as as I was to. Uh, to Arshambo. Um, you guys remember Wiseman? Did you guys ever pass mm-hmm. cross with Wiseman? I think it was Bushmaster um, at one point. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, Johnson doesn't ring a name, uh, doesn't ring a bell. But um, yeah, a- again, it was kind of funny when we got back and I was back with 1 7 with my, you know, with my regular battalion. I would still hang out with all the Charlie 126 you know, soldiers and shit like that in barracks is we're actually right by each other. Um, actually re-enlisted um, a couple guys too um, under, because uh, it was Captain Baca to replace Captain Archambault. But, um, but yeah, man, it was, it was, it, and, and that was also interesting. So I get to my, I get to my new battery after OIF too. And those guys were up in Beijing doing motorized infantry platoon shit. And so, I'm coming in and they're looking at me like, who the fuck are you? And I'm like, well, Hey, I was, I was over in fucking, you know, Paul on getting my shit shot at and everything like that. Who the fuck are you guys? You know, like, Oh, we're over in Beijing getting fucking shot at, you know? And so it was, it was Big funny. Contest. Yeah. And that's all it was after mm-hmm. OIF two, all it was, it was just like, Hey, um, even when I deployed my interpreter, uh, for my platoon, great guy. 
when he found out where I was in OF2, he's like, oh, LT, you've seen some shit. I'm like, how the fuck do you know? Like, I mean, I mean, even the even the interpreters were fucking measuring the dick sizes. It was crazy. So as well. Uh, and I and I fell I fell I fell prey to it, you know, with um you know, when I meet guys, I'd be like, where were you at? Oh, you guys didn't see a lot. Of, you, didn't, you didn't see a lot of shit. So what the yeah, fuck are you? It's a thing, man. And it is stupid as fuck. And I would be the first to admit it. Uh, now that I'm a little older and a little bit more mature. Um, but yeah, and that was, that was difficult. You know, I mean, it was just, it was the same thing I had to go through with when I met, you know, Charlie Rock and, and, you know, in sector, the whole time I was like, I got to make a splash. I got to, I got to let people know I'm, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to do whatever it takes to be part of the team. And a lot of, and so that's why I went out every day. I I'd jump on any, any platoon. If Cap Marchambeau, um, sometimes he'd jump on with platoons. Um, Cap Marchambeau was the type though. Like if you weren't ready, he just fucking left you behind. Um, I found out the hard way when I was supposed to, <laughs> I was supposed to go on mission with him and I fucking showed up and like, yeah, he left already. I was just like, SP is not for another 10 minutes. Like, yeah, he just, he really wanted to get the fuck out of here. I was like, God damn it. Um, so I would, I would go out with every platoon I could. And, um, and that's how I made my name and, and got to know all the soldiers and all the different platoons was just going out on missions, setting up OPs, um, any company size raid, I'd go with different platoons purposely just to, just to see how the different platoons operated, um, different platoon sergeants and everything. And it was, uh, again, best job in the army being an FSO in combat, because you can, you have that flexibility if your leadership's cool. And right on. it was, uh, it was awesome, but that was, that was one of the harder things coming back and getting with a new unit was you're starting from scratch and you're like, fuck man. And all the old, all the, your, your old guys are just right across the street. You know, like, man, I was wish I was with those guys, you know, because I don't have to prove myself or anything like that. So, oh, that's kind of seems to be the uh, the thing with the uh, with the military anyway. Like, you you change units, got to prove yourself again, right? Change units, got to prove yourself again. Get out of the army, got to prove yourself all over again from the bottom. You know what yeah. I mean? Because that resume doesn't carry over. It doesn't matter really what's on your uniform or what's on your DD two fourteen or what's on your dress uniform. What which what ribbons you've got? Like now you now you're here. And you got to prove yourself. I mean, unless you've got one of those names that just like, you know, precedes you, right? Like one of those, one of those big time names, but. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and um, like, and that was one of the things I liked about um, with, with Arshambo. He never wore any of his shit. Never wore his Ranger tab, never wore his Sapper tab, never wore his CIB, never wore his airborne wings, never wore his aerosol wings. Never. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he like any, he, he never saw it on his ACU or he, no shit ACUs. What the fuck am I saying? He never, <laughs> never had it on his DCUs and mm-hmm. never had him on his BD, BDs when we got back. Uh, never bloused his boots. I remember where uh, Colonel Dragon uh, landed in a fucking helicopter at Palo Alto to come say hi to us because we're so fortunate to have Colonel Dragon now General Dragon um, okay. say hello to us and. Uh, I remember he walked by and he was like, Hey Matt, you need to blast your boots. He's like, yeah, fuck off. Like, <laughs> he was fucking, I was just like, when I saw Cap Marshambeau do that, I was just like, dude, he just saw a full board colonel go fuck himself. I'm like, that man's awesome. And I was like, I want to be like him when I grow up. It was, uh, yeah, he never blouse his boots. Never. I mean, again, just like, he, he, yeah, man. And, and again, but 
uh, like one of the first questions he asked all the officers that would come in because we had such a high turnover. He'd be like, hey, you guys play chess? You play chess? It's like, okay. <laughs> like he just, and his favorite movie was Fight Club, and um, I helped design the company coin, and uh, I had to go f- – you know, track down interpreters, how to interpret. We're the all singing, all dancing crap of the world. And that's on our fucking Charlie one, two, six Iraq coin from OIF too. You know, like you, you went into his shoe. You had nothing but like Metallica CDs, you know, Nietzsche books and a fucking fight club poster and a chessboard. There's like, okay, this, this is an interesting man. You know? Yeah. That's so, a very interesting dude. Uh, huh. But again, like he, I remember when we de- redeployed, we were all in the, in the company talk right before we, we ripped out. And um, he was just like, all right, guys, I had two, two main goals for this deployment. First and foremost, return home with everyone we, we left with. He's like, I fell short of that. And that fucking sucks. That hurts. He's like, number two, we leave our sphere of influence, our sector, a little bit better than how we inherited He's like, I know for a fact we did that. So it's just like, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's go home. And I've always used that for motivation and for kind of my credo for the rest of my life of, hey, I'm going to, whatever I inherit, I'm going to leave it better than what I inherited. And that's always my goal. Like in my professional career and with, you know, in my personal life with relationships, like I always want people to be like, I'm glad that guy's my friend or my life's a little bit better because he's in it, not the right. other way around, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, it, and he didn't mean it for that. Like he wasn't hoping to reach me on that philosophical level. Um, I just had so that, that kind of respect for him that, that just, that's how it resonated. And again, that's leadership. That's, right. that's, that's leadership. It's just like a guy put something out there and some fucking idiot like takes that and makes that his life's credo. You're like, yeah, okay. You know, and that's that's what I did, and um, I, I don't know if others did as well, but um, and and again, it was it was funny. I had other officers tell me, um, you know, because I I roomed with two other uh, platoon leaders, uh, Pakora and Merkel, um, in OIF two, and Merkel was actually an armored guy. We had an armored platoon, and one of the Archambault's um, platoon guys were over at Anaconda. And uh, Pacora was first platoon leader, was sergeant, first class lord as his platoon sergeant. But I remember one night I was like, what the fuck is this guy's problem with me? And they were laughing like, dude, he hates second lieutenants. And Pacora was Archambault's favorite. You know, it's like the son he hadn't had. And I was just like, you know, Andy, what are you doing so different, man? Like, what the fuck? And he was like, dude, he rode my ass all the fucking time. And then I started hearing stories. I was like, oh, shit, he just really hates second lieutenants. They're like, yeah, dude. Like, once you put on your fucking, you know, your first lieutenant, he's going to be cool as fuck. I'm like, well, I'm not going to get promoted until after deployment. So this is going to be interesting. A um, long deployment. <laughs> must have been a long but time. He, so, hey, check this he, out. He, oh, he finally ahead. came around, though. Hey, he, he, he finally came around. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, we got to talk a lot about a whole lot of things. Um, it was so nice to have you on, man. Uh, Kevin, you got anything? Yeah, no, uh, there's a lot of really cool stories. I, I, I didn't know that about actually, I don't know if you, um, if you're on Instagram, but, uh, uh, Jeff Montrose is, and he, his most recent post is the story on it reminded me of a lot of the one that you told. And I wonder if it's the same story. 
Um, <clears throat> but um, I was going to ask you about it earlier, but then he didn't use any actual names. So I figured that was on purpose. So I just kind of decided to not uh, go into that. But uh, uh, but anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, man, that for sure, dude. Like, definitely glad to have you on. Um, I really enjoy the different perspective, um, if, if, you know, from from another company and another job, right? Because we we talked to a lot of infantry dudes, right? Talking to you, like you know somebody's doing an FSO job or going off and doing an FA or whatever, like <clears throat> that's that's a different perspective on the same on the same mission, so to speak. And so that that's really interesting to hear all that stuff. And then again, just 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 everything, man. Like we really appreciate you coming on. Um, but yeah, that's the we uh we I definitely are pressed for time right now. Um, but yeah, dude, for real. Thanks for coming on for sure. No, I'm, I, you guys have an awesome podcast. I've enjoyed listening to it and it's, I asked you guys to come on. Right. So um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving me the time, especially as an artillery guy, but um, keep doing what you guys are doing. I love the show. Uh, I'm a fan. And um, to all the blue spaders that are out there listening, I hope all you brothers are doing well. And uh, if anything I can wish upon you, is that you find inner peace and that you go after it for, for whatever time you have left here. And again, thank you so much guys. I've really enjoyed it. And um, amen to yeah, all that, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. Looking, looking forward to, uh, you know, hearing the rest of your second season, but again, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hell yeah, man. All right. Thanks for coming on. And, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Please continue to listen to our show. Uh, Share it, like always ask, uh, and we'll get more guests on here that you guys want to hear. And uh, the end. Thank you. And uh, continue to listen to Before I Forget. <laughs>